You are listening to the Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to the Techie Leadership Show. Today with me, I have Philippe Derek. He helps developers protect companies through better web security. As the founder of Rabmatic Web Security, he travels the world to train developers on web security and security engineering. His PhD in web security from KU Leuven lies at the basis of his exceptional knowledge of the security landscape. Philippe is a Google developer expert and an Off Zero ambassador expert for his community contribution on security of web applications and APIs. Hello, Philippe. How are Hi. you? I'm, I'm great. How are you? Same here and welcome to the show. Do you want to add anything about yourself? Well, you, you gave a pretty thorough introduction. So um, yeah, just let me say I'm, I'm Philip from Belgium. I'm excited to be on the show. And whenever you have questions about security, I'm hopefully going to be the one answering them. So if you want to yeah. talk about leadership and security combined, uh, be my guest. Awesome. That sounds really good. And I cannot wait to hear about your stories. And if they have also some securities in, inside of them, the success one, okay. Security success, okay, but some security failure. <laughs> leadership stories. <laughs> oh, that would be really interesting. Yes, I don't know. Yes. Do- I, I am doc- excited. Doc- document number one, people usually ask me to sign as an NDA. So I'm not sure how many stories I will be able to tell you. But uh, Rumors yeah, inside the community. Rumors, public stories. <laughs> sure, sure, of course. Okay. And with that in mind, um, let's get it rolling. What would be the biggest leadership success story you've witnessed personally? Um. It's 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 interesting to see, well, from my perspective, it's very interesting to see how companies deal with security. And and typically in in like a smaller company, it's it's going to be very straightforward. You have like one or two people responsible for for these things, and it's not that complicated to to manage all of that. But in in the larger companies, some of my customers are are the really big companies um, that are running a lot of different services, and there you have yes. all kinds of teams and all kinds of uh, structures and and things going on. And what I notice is that. When, when I'm talking to a group of developers on, on helping them how to, to make more secure applications, what really helps is if they know they have the, the support of management. So um, oh. often you, you'll find that they just have to follow training because depending on how you structure your programs, you have like a checkbox that says you need to have developer training at least this many hours a year. And sometimes I'm doing a checkbox training, which is basically uh, they have to tick the box. So it's like, yeah, whatever, come talk about security. But the best trainings, the most useful trainings, to me are the ones where management, well, typically the, the, like the boss or one of the VPs comes to the training. At the start, they explain why I'm there, what they want people to get out of it, why they shouldn't worry about work for those two days. And sometimes even uh, those people join the training as well, which is a very important signal, I think, to, to the people in the training. Like, we take this seriously and we want you to learn as much as you can uh, from this experience. And it's not just wasting your time for two days and getting more work after that no it's something we take seriously and we want to invest in and without naming names can you give like an example where a boss or a vp from a company was at the training and how he helped impact and make it better for the developers to absorb all this knowledge and take it really serious and actually say like we are this company is focused on security and it's important to us so you better learn from this yeah, well, I, I can give you a few examples of, of things that are, are definitely very useful in, in such okay. a setting. So um, 
one example is is um, for example when they they ask me if they can pitch in during the training. So I'm I'm teaching a subject, and typically when I'm done, um, we wrap it up, and then um, sometimes there, there's one of the the senior people there. They want to pitch in like this is how this applies to us specifically. Like hey, Philip talked about doing this oh. and this and this. Um, and we we have these internal resources available. If you have questions, you should go to these and these people because these are our internal experts that will be able to help you further on deploying this. And and that's definitely one of the the good ways to impact this because it makes I, I'm obviously not familiar with every internal aspect of a company. Yes. And that that makes it twice as relevant for the people in the training. That's that's one concrete example. And another one is um, where, for example, people from the company pitch in to discuss cases they had internally. So when I'm talking about a vulnerability, I'm typically using uh, public examples because obviously I can't use internal yes. examples, but it's like, hey, here's a news story about what happened and this is what happened there. And what really helps is if people from the company, from the security team, for example, are there and they uh, pitch in saying like, oh yeah, we had this exact problem in our application as well and we, we fixed it this and this and that was the impact that we had and and so on. So it's it's all about making this from a more abstract security story like here are some guidelines to this is what this means concretely for us and we want you to invest in this and uh, it's it's that combination that makes my message uh, stronger but unfortunately you need someone from the company or unfortunately it's it's best if someone from the company does that than if I do that because um, it, it hits much harder if, if it's someone they know and respect and and know that it's familiar with the internal workings. Yeah, Philip, and I think like this applies to any trainings or anything that you take somebody from the outside of the company to do a training, a workshop, a consulting. <clears throat> and if you actually have uh, somebody higher up coming there and says like, we're focused on this, participates during, takes his time to participate and also provide his input. Say like this, I think it will be important for us and give concrete examples. And also the the people participating, if you have like the discussion with them and try to engage them, to have them say like, okay, we got this knowledge, this is how we could apply it in our case, concrete case. And that makes for a better learning environment. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I, I always appreciate if if the training is, is well supported by the company and actually um, fits within a larger program of improving security altogether because there's a lot more than training only of course yeah it is and it's a lot of work here security is especially nowadays do you find it's becoming harder and harder to provide like basic levels not necessarily like basic but good levels of security or is becoming easier and easier that's a very, very good question for which I don't have a very good answer. So it, it all depends yeah. on on the case. It's it, it depends on how you look at things. If you look at security as a whole, I think it's getting harder because there's a lot more software, a lot more uh, devices and not enough knowledge about security. On, on the other hand, if you look at specific companies and, and what they're doing with enterprise development, I think things are getting better because we are learning how to simplify things. We are learning how to automate things. We have a lot of frameworks that offer security out of the box nowadays, which makes my job, instead of teaching a developer how to do every every little step themselves, I can now teach them the concept and then tell them like, you know, this is what we talked about, uh, this defense. 
this framework already does that for you. So all you need to do is follow these guidelines and you know you're protected. And it, it's going from, this is all the different things you have to do to this is what you have to know. And if you stay on this path, then you are covered. And hopefully that will, that will be a continuing evolution because that's definitely the right way to move forward. And uh, from your point of view, how important is like for management to be security conscious? Because you said like developers, they need the support of management, but from what you're seeing in the industry, are managers open to the discussion or are they aware of the implications and are they willing to pitch in? Usually they are aware, but I'm biased because the moment they bring in an external trainer, they already have a budget for security training and all of that. So <laughs> th those are the companies that already know that they have to take this kind of seriously. But even then I'll, I'll find uh, or I'll, I encounter quite a few people that want to learn about security, but they don't get the buy-in from management. And that means that if they want to build something more secure and it's going to take a bit more time to add security or to figure out how to do it right, that they don't get that time and they have to spend their own time if they want to do that. And that creates a, a very difficult situation. And that's usually not the most effective way to, to build a security program. You need that buy-in is crucial. If you don't have the buy-in, there's no budget, there's no time. There's always pressure on new features and what business needs and not what security needs. So um, yeah. it's, I would say buy-in from management is, is absolutely critical. Without that, it's, uh, it's something you, you can never win. And on that note, Philip, without naming names, what is the biggest leadership failure you've had the unfortunate experience of witnessing? That's a, I had to think about that one. So um, I, I want to say two things there. So one more general general case is is what I mentioned before, like the checkbox checkbox training, where they they have to tick the box for the year and they just bring me in to do a training. Um, I've had cases where. The training happens at a hotel because they don't have a meeting room available to fit 20 or 30 people. And that okay. there's nobody from the company there except the attendees and me. So I'm basically doing the introduction myself. The, the attendees, they have like no good idea. Well, they, they know they need to be there, but they don't know what's expected of them. Things like that. That That's not a very nice way to start a training. We yes, always make it not. useful, but, but they, they will go away with a bitter feeling anyway. Like, why did we need to be here not doing other work if there's nobody else supporting us? And one, one more extreme case there was a training booked for, I think, 40 to 50 people from different departments. And the day before the training, they heard or a lot of departments were forbidden to go to the training because they had too much work to do. So, what? yeah, that was a, a very, very mixed message there. So top management was like, yeah, we're going to need to do this training because this is important for us. And then uh, the department level management was like, yeah, no, that's not. <laughs> so just, the, just crazy. Yeah, I, I know, <laughs> I know. Uh, it, it's a lot of internal politics playing at that moment. But uh, as a trainer, it's definitely not fun when when you prepared a training for 50 people and there's going to be 15. That's, yeah, that's not how things are yeah. supposed to go. So that's, th to me, that hurts because you, you, you can see that this is the, the completely wrong signal for a company and yeah and it's yeah it's 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 sad that it has to happen that way but uh, of course you don't know all the things that are playing anyway as an external trainer but uh, yeah it's yeah, life i guess I, yeah and i understand philip if i was you like in that situation like you come in and nobody presents you <clears throat> basically management shows that 
by not being there, not investing sometimes, it says like this training isn't worth their time. So the people that are there are, are feeling mostly forced to be there and say like, if it's not worth their time, why should be should it be worth my time to be here? Um, and I'm already like, I have so much work to deliver and they're going to ask me like, is it going to be on time? So like, can I say like, I had to go to the training and it creates this environment where the people there, they don't really want to be there. So they're not that open to, to inquiring and getting all the information they should and get the, some new skills. And also you as a trainer, I, if I'd be in your, in your shoes, I would be like, they don't care. Why should I care if they get everything from this training? So it's well, not good as, for anybody involved. As, as a trainer, I always try to deliver what I'm hired to deliver. Because of course. Even, even if the people are forced to be there, they, they still usually, I've, I've only rarely encountered people that don't want to learn. So they're like, yes, we want to learn about this stuff. But if, if the training is just forced on them, then they know whatever they learn, they're probably not going to be able to apply that as they want anyway, because there's not no time and no budget and no desire to do that internally. And that's that's often very frustrating for those people as well. But if they learn so, if they learn the security principles and they they move on to a different job or a different role, then uh, hopefully they can they can make some change with that and they can build more secure applications. But yeah. You see, Philip, that's why you need to get trainers that are passionate about what they're training about, like yourself about security, because then they're going to work hard to surpass blockages like this and still make it work somewhere. But that you need people with passion to come and inject some of that passion inside the company from time to time. Yeah, <laughs> Especially absolutely. when you have companies that are just tick box trainings. <laughs> yeah. The good companies, they, they organize a, a bunch of training. So one of my biggest customers, they just fly me, well, used to fly me all over the world okay. uh, to their different offices to, to have like a, a set of classes. So they definitely took security seriously and they, they pushed uh, all the teams to, to invest in security and they provided everything that they needed. So they're like, oh yeah, you, you'll have a basic course and an advanced course. Uh, Philip will be there for four days and I will teach you and you can, people can subscribe to that and it's always a, a big hit. And Philip, from your point of view, what could do a leader or a manager could do to ensure that when developing, like getting people onto trainings to maximize the effects of the trainings? Um, I would say that uh, a strong aspect of training is, is the follow-up. So the training is one thing. I, I can teach a two-day class, but if, if you just sit there in class, it's going to be interesting. But a week later, you're already going to have forgotten a, a bit of it. And uh, if nothing happens with that knowledge, that, that the new skill set, then a month later, two months later, things are going to go back to where they were before. You might have a bit yes. more knowledge, a bit, bit more information. But in the end, if nothing ever changes, then what good does it do? So what I always try to advise people is that they, they try to get some takeaways from training. So I, I give a lot of practical guidelines like, hey, this is a good way to do things this is a bad way to do things and what i would like to see um and what i advise people often to do is to take that into concrete guidelines that you can do or apply to your teams and and require people to follow like hey we, we learned that this is the right way of doing things and this is the wrong way so let's scan or go back to our applications that we built before and look for that bad pattern and replace it with with a good pattern and um that 
that definitely requires some investment afterwards as well. It's not just the two days yes. of training. It's it's the weeks and the months after that to to turn what you learned into some something actionable that you can do on a daily basis. And that's essentially how you move things forward. And that's a great tip. And it's something that I was always looking when I was looking for training of any sort. Does it have a, a sort of follow-up? Uh, it's not just an event. Is it like has some plans for the weeks following up the event for the months? Do they do the trainers look like, hey, they came in, okay, they did the, the two days, like the the bulk of it, but then are they going to come in from check on the people and remind them are remind them of the stuff that went up on the trainings and see if they're progressing or not, what's stopping them, make new recommendations uh, to to the business, to management, like, hey, we feel that <clears throat> we already invested this amount. We should, if we do like another half a day, I think you'll get like even better results out of it. So having this sort of communication and evaluation afterwards, is, it's not like a one, one stop, like, okay, we did it, check it off. Now they know this for, <laughs> forever because it's not realistic and it doesn't really work. Reinforcement learning is better. Yeah, absolutely. And the second time you hear about a topic, you'll have a, a better basis and you'll be able to uh, identify other nuances and, and things like that. So yeah, it's even even I learn new things about the stuff I'm supposed to know about. I, I know a lot about it, but if you hear someone else's vision on that and maybe some some tiny detail like, oh yeah, that's another way of, of doing that same attack. That's, exactly. that's always useful. Yeah. Same here. Always and learning. Flip. Yes. It's it's something that, especially as a developer, it should be used to the concept, but it's it's hard when you realize like, oh my God, I never be done. And I could retire and I would still need to learn new stuff. <laughs> and Philip, <clears throat> based on all your experience, what is your leadership philosophy? Um, well, it, it, it's a bit difficult to pinpoint that because it's, it's hard. I, I don't know if... Well, people call me sometimes a leader in security, but it's hard to see that myself because I'm I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I guess. I'm just doing my job okay. and, and trying to provide people with knowledge and, and it, people pick it up and, and start applying that and learning and, and asking for, for further resources and stuff like that. But I, I guess one of the, the important things that I would say is try to lead by example. So instead of just trying to tell other people what they should be doing. I just try to do that myself. So when I believe that there's a gap in, in knowledge, like this is something everybody should know about, I, I try to provide some resources that actually uh, fill in that gap without necessarily trying to convince other people to make that or, or things like that. So I, I just, when I see something that can be addressed and it fits within my global strategy of, of where I want to go, then I, I just pick it up and do it and, if somebody else wants to cooperate on that, that's great. And otherwise, I'll, I'll just get it done anyway. And hopefully, then we'll inspire people to do more and provide additional resources. That sounds really great. And now I really have to ask you, because you said like lead by example. How secure are your own systems? Or, or are you like the cobbler kids that have no shoes? I'm a, a very strong believer in in eating my own dog food so if i tell people how to do something then i'm usually gonna try that myself uh, to follow the same guidelines um, in general i would say i'm, I'm pretty security aware um, i try to do as much as i can 
but of course it's security is an ongoing process it's not like a, it's a, not a goal you reach like yes i'm, I'm finally here 100 percent, and it's going to stay that way no it's, it's always a matter of staying on top of things and trying to to have the right processes and, and things like that so and what would be like your top tips to stay safe on the, in this digital age that's something i have that's a very difficult question it, it depends entirely on our target audience if it's um for normal people at home i would strongly suggest to look into some password management techniques where you don't use the same password everywhere um if it's for um, more tech savvy people or advanced uh, people uh, people with advanced skills i would strongly recommend multi-factor authentication and all of those things and if it's for developers then it's going to be secure coding guidelines things you should absolutely avoid and uh, always try to think about what can go wrong with things as well um, so yeah it, the field is, is very broad there and, and it's very hard to to give very concrete yeah. advice <laughs> without targeting one specific audience but uh, yeah and since you mentioned like developers should make sure they use like good practices how can developers help to get more management buy-in on using better practice security practice but not just security practice because better coding practices development practices they all take time and they all slow projects down and you always need to get management buy-in so if you have some tips or or tricks on how to help that move that out it would be really awesome yeah for for security specifically i always recommend people to talk about the potential impact of problems so security is one of these tricky things because if you spend a lot of money on security and you actually get it right nothing ever happens because things are <laughs> yes. secure so the, the return is, is very unclear it's it's like Yes, we had zero incidents this year. Awesome. Give us more money. It's not. Like, yeah. <laughs> yes, hard to just hard. watch. But well, what I always recommend and I always uh, pointed out in my, my, when I use an example as well, it's like, what is the impact of this? And if, if you tell a manager the technical details like, oh, if, if this happens there, then we have an injection problem and it, it can be bad. That's, that's a very technical explanation. But if you explain them like, hey, this search feature that everyone can access gives if this happens, then the attacker has full access to every single record in our database. Um, that, that makes the impact a bit more concrete. And if you can link that to an example of British Airways, they, they lost a bunch of credit card information through a bad piece of JavaScript and they are facing a multi-million dollar fine for that. And that, that yeah. is something that, that starts to make that return on investment more clear. Like if this happens to us and that is the cost, then why not spend a little bit now to make sure we get things right instead of risking that big fine. And even then it's going to be the making the assessment whether you want to risk a potential security issue or you are uh, you want to protect that and it depends on the sensitivity and the impact and, and so on and so on and if i like giving concrete examples to of potential risk and costs to management really helps like smooth and gets to a faster decision yes because it it makes things very tangible if if you give an example like hey here's an application that got uh that got breached and it cost them this much in cleanup it cost them this much in fines and uh and this and this then things become real because if you just tell them like yes somebody can grab the data it's like yeah okay is, is it really that bad what can happen with that and if you translate that in like this is what happened to this company maybe it's a competitor maybe it's a, a 
something comparable, but that makes it yes. very real. Like, oh, this is not a, a made-up story. This happened to someone, and this this is actually the real-life impact. Yeah, and that's why, as a developer or somebody working in tech, you should have like an arsenal of uh, stories to support your points for what you want to do. Especially if you if you're a professional and you really want management to support you. So it's not just about security, which is Philip's speciality, but it's also if you want to have like good coding practices and all, all the stuff you dream as a developer or somebody working in tech, is you need to have stories, horror stories from other companies that led to project failures so you can use them to explain your points of view to management and that way you can get them on your side which is a really good tip yeah i wish i had it, this before <laughs> some time ago it works in both ways so you mentioned horror stories but it also works for the good stories. so sometimes yes, you'll find also. a company um for example google is, is pretty open in these things um on on what security technologies they apply and they also show like hey we we had nine very high sensitive vulnerabilities and this technology stopped uh, seven of them and um, information like that can also help uh, smaller companies like hey google is doing this and it's working and here are the numbers because that gives it credibility it's not just something yes. that you read somewhere online no it's something that that a leader is doing and and they're doing it right and they're investing in this which means that it must probably be valuable as well that's an awesome point i love it and um, for aspiring leaders what will be your top three leadership tips you have for them um speaking from personal experience um i i strongly believe in in three things here um first of all no job is too dirty i would say so okay. whenever something needs to get done i'll i'll just well when when i'm the person that needs to do it or when nobody else is available to do it i'll just do it myself um and i think that that's really important the same thing goes for a company um a manager should be present in training they're often like yeah but i'm not technical so what just join us and yes. you might not know everything you might not be the smartest or the the most uh the person with the most knowledge in that room but it's good to show that to to your people as well because you're gonna have to rely on them and it's good to, yes. to show that yourself and whenever something needs done just get it done i would say and it's good it's a good idea to also have an idea about what they learn there so you can have discussions yeah. afterwards <laughs> absolutely absolutely I also think second point would be to strive for excellence. So I always try to do a good job in everything I do and because it, it definitely helps inspire other people. If you, if you do sloppy work yourself, then you can't really expect from, from other people to, for them to deliver your, their best work. Um, so all, always try to get the best out of your own, your own work and out of other people as well. And it's, it's something that reinforces each other. And that's definitely, definitely a good way forward as well. And then finally, yes. transparency. So I strongly believe in transparency. Um, not necessarily every little detail. Well, not everybody should know every little detail, but they should know at least uh, the big picture, the roadmap. And whenever there's a problem or something that's bothering, bothering you, just talk about it. Because if you let things simmer under the surface and until it explodes, then that's, that's no good. So I always try to be transparent. Uh, also, when people ask me and I don't know, I'll, I'll tell them like, I don't know. I'll have to look it up. And sometimes in a training, we actually look it up together and we build an example together to see to see what the effect is because some, some corner cases, I, I also don't know about them and I'll have to yes. look it up. But yeah. And I love it that you brought up transparency. 
because yeah, especially in security, it's it's a big yes. thing. So. <laughs> that's why that's what I want to ask you. Like, especially in security, how do you decide what to be transferred? How do you choose what to let out and what to protect a little? Because it's I'm I'm curious if you have some guidelines or some tips on these lines on how to choose. How do you choose the level of transparency that it's appropriate by situation by situation? Well, first of the, first of all, security should never rely on obscurity or secrecy. So, if if you're well, of oh, course, password password should be secret. But if if you <laughs> yes. if you design an application and it's only secure if nobody knows how it works, then it's not a good design. It you should always assume that somebody knows how it works. And that even with that knowledge, they they might have an easier time to exploit a problem, but they shouldn't be able to get in automatically. It's not like, oh, if you know this secret URL and you can access this interface and you can do this and this and this, that's not how things are supposed to work because that will fail eventually. And we've seen that over and over again. Similar thing, I don't recommend companies to disclose their security practices just like that. You don't have to go telling everyone. Uh, You can if you want to, but um, you shouldn't necessarily make it all open you shouldn't okay. uh, be transparent about that but you should be transparent to your customers about what matters for them you don't have to tell them like this server is running there and that's how we protect it no but you have to uh, assure customers and users that that you are taking security seriously and uh, for some things you'll find companies being very open like how they handle passwords because there's a very uh, good standardized way of getting that right so if as a company you can come out and say like, hey, we actually follow this best practice, then that gives some some assurances to to customers or users that are worried about that. But uh, it's it's always uh, obscurity can be a very good mechanism to make it harder for attackers to succeed, but it should never be a defense mechanism because eventually somebody will have the details, whether it's an ex employee or uh, God knows who. Somebody will find out those details and even then your application should remain secure. And I guess like obscurity wouldn't work like in the workplace because eventually people will find out and they're going to be more uh, more not happy <laughs> when they found <laughs> out. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I like the parallel. You can, get, you can grab a lot of information like from uh, yeah. security. That also applies like to the work environment in general, which is really interesting. Yeah. One moment when transparency is actually pretty important is when things go wrong. So whenever a breach okay. happens, that's not the moment to start hiding details and downplaying the problem. That's that's the moment to own up to it and, and basically inform the users like something bad happened. This is exactly what happened. Um, this is what got impacted and this is what we'll do to ensure it doesn't happen again. And you, you, we will help you handle the fallout if there is fallout and so on and so on. So that's... Uh, when a breach happens, that's usually when companies like clamp down and try to give as little information as possible. But that's probably not the right way because um, yes. people will people will react badly to that. So that's a moment where transparency definitely pays off. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. When when the um, everything goes to hell, that's when you need to be transparent. If everybody's happy, yeah, they could live with a little less transparency because everything is good. But when stuff is getting worse and worse and worse, then you need to like put everything on the table and say how this is where we are. How do we move forward? How do we solve it? 
what can we do? It's not the moment to hide stuff because people cannot work on problems when they can see just half of it or just a small part of it. And they cannot uh, make like a really good, really good decision based on that, on just glimmers of the whole situation. And now I am really curious, Philip. What is the book that had the most profound impact on you? Um, that's that's a very good, very good question. Um, I, I would say that the book is "Can't Hurt Me." That's the title. It's okay. by um, David Goggins, and it's it's actually pretty interesting. So it's a what is it about? What's the main? It's it's, it's basically it's, it's life story. Um, and David Goggins is is like this super athlete he, he's running like ultra marathons and doing all of these crazy things okay um that most people would say is impossible but he he still does it anyway um but the book is about how how he got there and how he had a, a very difficult childhood a very rough uh rough life and then eventually had to rely on himself to turn things around and dig deeper and deeper into finding a way to to achieve his goals and he went on to to join the army and became a Navy SEAL and, and so on and so on. And it's, it's a, I, I think it's a very good book. It, it, it's something you should probably read a few times to get, to get everything out there because the first time you're going to read the story and be like, Holy crap, this is insane. And then <laughs> if you read awesome. it a second time, um, I, I noticed that you start finding other pieces in there. Like um, he, he had moments that he, he failed. He, he looked for excuses to, to bail out and not do something. And then, uh, you can start reflecting on those and it's it's a i think it's a very powerful book to learn about recognizing your limits but also pushing pushing past them and and achieving more than you would ever thought was possible and how did the book impact you um it showed me that that you actually can push harder and it showed me that that not everything should work from the first time and, and you actually yeah it's it's often very difficult because you start something and it, it doesn't work out the way you intend to. And it's very easy to abandon them and, and, and think like, yeah, let's do something else or just forget about it. But um, you, you probably should yes. go back to that and analyze like, why did it go wrong? And maybe try again or change the direction a bit and, and approach it differently or something like that. And it's, it's that process of, of seeing that even very accomplished people have that process of, of failing and going back and seeing what, what they should try differently or just pushing through and fighting harder to, to get there. And it, it definitely helps me in achieving more, especially in, in these current times, because um, at home uh, we have a newborn in the house and two kids are not, not going to school. So as you can imagine, it's uh, that takes a lot Hard. of time and it's, yes. uh, combining that with, with work and, and other things is, it's definitely challenging sometimes. Yes. Well, it's also, a, I believe, it's a challenging pleasure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's if, if everything works out, but there's good days and bad days as well. And it's, yes. you'll have to find a way to deal with that anyway. So, yes. And Can Hurt Me sounds like a really awesome book. And the message it has, it's really powerful. And it's true. Nobody, most people, or at least I, don't succeed from the first try. So, so not generalizing it. It usually takes a couple of tries and 
reshaping the plan and working it and saying, okay, this direction doesn't work. Let's try this one. Oh, this one doesn't work out also. So it's not, it's not smooth. Um, <clears throat> when you tell the story about your success, it's always smooth because <laughs> uh, you have the tendency to leave off all the rough parts because you don't want to relieve them for one and you don't feel like they're so exciting for the other person listening. Yeah, but you actually need that to, to tell a full story. And I, I think the book does, does a great job in, in telling that story. And yeah, Sounds awesome. It's, uh, it's a good read. So definitely go for it. Yeah, I am going to go for it. And Philip, if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? Well, I'm pretty easy to find on the internet. So um, I'm on Twitter and I have my website called pragmaticwebsecurity.com and all the info is, is there basically. My website has a lot of free resources on security. So if you're a developer or someone in, in IT, it's definitely going to be useful to take a look at that. And yeah, I, I also have an online course that I'm building. So that is definitely going to be interesting if you awesome. want to learn about OAuth and OpenID Connect. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of information for me online and you'll definitely find me. Uh, and I'm going to put the links in the show notes so people can find you even more easily. Perfect. And I highly recommend people if they, um, they're working in a company that's becoming more security conscious, reach out to Philip, see if you can work something out and get some training or however we can work together because Philip, after the discussion, I, I can tell you he's really passionate about security. <laughs> and you need, Absolutely. you need somebody with passion about it. And even if you don't work, work in a company, training. just start following uh, a couple of my conference talks that are online and you can start learning about security and take it from there. That's awesome, Philip. Thank you for coming on the show. It's been a it's my pleasure. pleasure. Okay. Absolutely. Bye. Bye. That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe and share please. Oh, you can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.